we're faced with these like insurmountable challenges and the brain is just so wired to be negative, you know, so wired to protect us and close off. And resiliency is about opening up and embracing that like super unknown, super uncomfortable gray area. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud Veterinary Marketing Podcast. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. And today I have David Liss, MBA, CVPM, PHR, CCFP, <laughs> OMG, LOL. Man, you have more letters than anyone I've ever met in your name. Oh, man. I do sleep. I promise. I do get some sleep. <laughs> well, that makes one of us. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. How's life going today? Oh, man, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. It's been a crazy year. You know, I know that you guys have felt it and and kind of been there, you know, for our teams. But I mean, it, it just doesn't, every week doesn't feel like just another week. I mean, you know, I'm a director of a group, right, of, of practices. And it's like, normal is what am I going to deal with this week? These kinds are like, what am I going to deal with this week? And what am I going to deal with this week? Because it, it's just flying at you right and left. Um, but I'm good. I mean, you know, I am. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. that was a really good thing to say, oh, I'm good, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've done a big amount of like resiliency work in my life. And I'm one of those people that's like, throw it at me because I, I got you. And so, you know, I try to just pass that off to my teams, that strength. But I'm good. It's Friday. It's beautiful out. I mean, what else can I say, man? <laughs> yeah, you're, he's in LA. I'm down here in Newport Beach. We're about 45 minutes, maybe an hour apart. Yeah, COVID traffic in Southern California is much different than normal traffic. I used to try to get up to LA. It'd be a two, three hour thing. Now it's like we can get up there quick. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, we, we've been, we were in the field a bit and then obviously went kind of work from home while COVID hit. And then there was a period where we were out. I freaking love it. You know, somebody, I'm, you're on the road. I'm on the road. I know people, I know people are struggling. I know that it probably sucks to work at home, but man, those open freeways, <laughs> sign me up. I am down with that. <laughs> and you know, I like what you just said too, about like resilience training. Um, uh, because I don't you think every single person in vet med needs that? Absolutely. Um, you know, for everybody listening, man, we have this, there's this kind of, I would say like the majority, maybe 90% are like negative Nellies. I'm just going to call it out. You know, the world is terrible. The clinic is terrible. Everything's falling apart. Clients suck. The world is terrible. And the thing about that is that's a mindset. I'm that is a mindset. Like I get that there is real stuff going on, and and I do that too. Like I don't. I'm not 100% positive. I'll sit there and go, everything's horrible. But you can talk to yourself and say, wait a minute, is it horrible? You start questioning that kind of lizard brain part, right? And then you go, well, no, it's it, it, it's it's not great, but it's not you know 100% like it's maybe 30% horrible and 70% good. And all of a sudden, man, your mood changes, your blood pressure drops, like, and that's the kind of self talk that we we need to do more in the veterinary profession. But yeah, it, it's nobody's born with it. Nobody really there's like zero training on. I mean, there's a few out there, and yet we need it so badly because the rate the way it comes up right is that we're faced with these like insurmountable challenges and the brain is just so wired to be negative you know so wired to protect us and close off and resiliency is about opening up and embracing that like super unknown super uncomfortable gray area <laughs> 
I go into these episodes with nothing planned. I, in fact, you and I just talked about that. And for everyone listening, I've never said this, the 14 episodes I've recorded so far, buckle up. This, this episode's about to get unhinged. And I'll say this, you know, and I'm going to ask you about your origin stories in vet med. You know, people have heard me talk about on the podcast and people know me. I love the incredible Hulk. And I have in my office, I don't know, a good amount, both physically and financially into collectible Hulk statues, limited edition. I've always loved Bruce Banner and the Hulk. In fact, you and I were just on a Zoom chat. You could see I'm wearing an incredible Hulk hat today. (laughs) Here's Here's what I love about Bruce Banner and the Hulk. The more he gets hit, the more damage he takes, the more that he takes on, the stronger he gets. He is what's called an Omega character in the Marvel Universe, meaning he has no limit on his power. I really resonate with that. The harder things get, the stronger I get. The more pissed I get, the stronger and faster and better I get. This is why I love the Hulk. And uh, days like we're we're in a little bit of, of a crazy day. Every day is crazy. And you know, those hard days, even people here at Whisker Cloud, I can I, I see the, you know, the negativeness and the tone shift. And for me, I'm like, bring it on. Let's yeah. go. So before you and I just pull the pin on this, talk to me about your origin story. You know, the moment the spider bit your hand, you became Spider-Man. How'd you get into vet med? Yeah. So I was like a real precocious, I've been driven from the moment I was born. And, you know, when I was, I think I was like 13, uh, you know, I'll tell this story because I mean, y'all love stories and, and I'm sure your listeners do too. And I, I used to watch ER, if you remember that show, that was like the best medical drama ever. It was drama and like real medicine, like people being cut open. And, you know, the way they cut that show with the, with the adrenaline, I was like, I'm hooked. So I wanted to be a human doctor. I wanted to be an ER doctor and wear the scrub and cut people open. And so I was like 13 and I started calling up human hospitals, man. I want to work in the ER. And they're looking at me going, we don't let anybody in until they're at least 16. And I was like crushed. I was like, oh my gosh. And my mom actually said, you know, we have a really great vet. You know, what do you think about that? And I was like, okay, let's check it out. So I went and I was volunteering at my family vet. And a kind of interesting story, uh, the veterinarian, I think he is retired now, uh, but he is a descendant of Jonas Salk, the vaccine dude. He's a cool guy, Dr. Salk. And so I volunteered there and it just kind of blossomed. I was like, I like medicine. It's kind of cool to work with animals. I enjoyed just the atmosphere of working with people. Worked as a kennel tech, unlicensed, you know, vet assistant, vet tech. Went to college, thought I was going to be a veterinarian. It's everybody, every little kid's dream, want to be a veterinarian. And, uh, you know, man, talk about taking licks. I went to college, got an undergrad liberal arts degree, did the sciences for vet school, did the GRE, did all that stuff, applied to eight schools, got rejected from eight out of eight and went, dude, like talk about an ego crusher. You know, I was born to be a vet, right? It pivoted me to being a vet tech, got my vet tech specialist license, moved into supervising. Now I have run an emergency department directed a vet tech program, overseen a 24-hour emergency general practice hybrid, and now I oversee eight and growing practices in the LA area. You know, and and so I'm not saying that to like toot my own horn. I'm saying I could have gone to vet school, which is an amazing career too, but life had a different direction, you know, and you have to kind of take those licks. And I think, you know, your Bruce Banner comment is perfect, right? Like he wrestles with that part of himself. Like he doesn't want that kind of like, you know, I think the the recent Hulk movie where he kind of had showed the gentler side, but he's like a crazy beast, you know, he doesn't want to like totally lean into that, right? Like he's kind of ashamed of it. And I'm sure you're the same way too. I've like been like, you know what, 
rip that Band-Aid off. I am who I am. I'm aggressive. I'm, I'm driven. And yeah, I'm going to get my ego bruised a lot. But man, it's going to teach me stuff. So so yeah, that's where I am today. I, I fell basically into the tech part and then fell headfirst into the business part. And man, as a business professional in veterinary medicine, you get a lot of autonomy, you get a lot of respect. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to run veterinary, you know, practices and businesses, but the challenge is amazing, which is which is what I love too. I love it. And by the way, flex on them, man. Like you've done a lot of good stuff. This is a place where you can say, I've run this, I've run that, I'm managing eight hospitals, right. uh, we're crushing it through a pandemic. I think that's one thing in veterinary. I want to see more vet professionals come out and be like, Yeah, we're we're killing it. So that's all really cool stuff. And you and I, you know, I mean, I, I think the things we want to talk about today are everyone understands that COVID's here. It's affecting everyone differently. It affects us the same way it affects the hospitals. I don't think the hospitals realize that when, you know, you and I were just talking about that. And and it's funny. And, and I'm going to like set up the whole conversation right now. <laughs> so I see you in a lot of the veterinary groups on like Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm in those groups as well. And it's interesting. And I said this on another episode and, and I think this comes off as bad, but I don't mean it as bad. I love the groups because I think there's just so much incredible information there. And, And I hate these groups because they are, it's like talking about politics on Facebook in 2020. It is an echo chamber. You're only going to hear what you're going to, what you want to hear. You're only going to see what you want to see. And so you have all of this information and, and I'm curious, like I, I'm in these groups and I typically see, I would say it's about 80, 20 in terms of negative stuff. Is that what you see? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, like, listen, I, I've been a manager, I am a manager, and it's so easy to post something like, I can't, you know, this employee is horrible. I can't believe that they blah, blah, blah. And what you do is you completely relieve you take yourself completely out of it. The clinic has no role in that. I have no role in that. Our lack of protocols have no role in that, right? It's only the employee's fault. And there's and there's a lot of that. I mean, and I'm speaking to the managers and it's not meant to be punitive. It's like, I want to I want to work with you guys. Everybody's got a role. So yeah, I, I'm in these groups too. And, you know, sometimes I'm sure you've maybe seen some of my posts where I'll just say, well, and I ask a lot of questions. Well, what, you know, what's going on? What led up to it? What can we do? And yeah, sometimes the approach works where they, you know, they go, oh yeah, you know, and I kind of think about that way. And sometimes, oh man, yeah, you get piled on. There was a post recently about uh, somebody like, you know, doing something positive for their clinic, like self-care, uh, uh, I don't know, it was like planking or something. And everybody's like, I can't believe, oh my God, everybody's fat. We all feed them junk food, la la. And I was just like, I basically posted, I said, good job for prioritizing self-care at your clinic. That's great. You should be doing that as a manager. And it's kind of sometimes hard to be like, you guys, you're feeding. If you're negative on Facebook, you're probably a negative manager and you're feeding the negativity at your, at your clinic, you know? So yeah, that's social media in some ways in general. And and I think, you know, it's not about like, you know, when you do a post on Facebook and you're on your own personal page, it's your view, right? Which is awesome and great, but that's your view. And 99.9% of the people in this world probably don't have the same view. So if they say, if they then put their opinion, which is free speech, you're allowed to do that. Why do you react to it? It's their opinion. Like all of a sudden it's, oh no, you're wrong. I'm right. Well, come on, man. Like you put it out into the world. It's not your private journal. And so you just like, I think people have to kind of take a step back and take it a down, take it down a notch. Like nobody's 
personally attacking you. You had the courage to put it out on that group, you know. So I, you know, I do think that that's a lot. But I do think that they also provide a great amount of resources to the cool. The interesting thing, though, is like, man, the, some of the misinformation, like, I'm like, nope, what you just suggested is illegal. Don't don't listen to that. Part. You know, like, sources <laughs> either. I mean, it's it's really interesting. You know, we've we've moved to, I think, feeling that our like random people on Facebook are experts when they may or may not be. We don't know. There's no validating of that of that, you know, so <laughs> there's nothing I love more than like I'm in some of these groups and someone asks like a marketing or a web question and the answers are just so incredibly wrong. And I'm not and I'm not one to sit there and be like, well, actually, I'm out from Whisker Cloud and let me tell you what I think, because like whatever. But it's just like I, I see the craziest shit all the time. And I'm just like, oh, where are they even seeing this? Where would they do that? Oh, no. So, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that I see. But yeah, I mean, you managing eight hospitals with eight hospitals of people who all have different views and different needs and different wants. I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. And, you know, for the person, for the practice manager, for the small clinic owner, you know, owner doctor out there who's listening right now, I assume they must be struggling with the same stuff. It's like, I have this practice manager who's got very hard views this way. I have this, you know, my RVTs are thinking this way, it's causing issues. I mean, I see all of the stuff on just like, what should we do when someone didn't put in proper time off? What should we do when someone called in sick or, you know, didn't show up? How do we want to react? What should we do when everyone's talking about how much they make? And man, like, I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, and I've got a pretty big team here at Whisker Cloud. And it's really interesting the things I have to think about on a day-to-day basis as we're rolling stuff out. So I think with COVID and everything going on, it's like, how do you even how do you even coordinate this with everyone? How do you focus? Like, do hospitals do they care about let me take a step back. Like we do one-on-ones at Whisker Cloud and, you know, basically direct reports meet with their manager either once a week or every other week, depending on what they need. And you know, and I, I think I've done six one-on-ones this week. And and honestly, they're set for an hour. I, I did one yesterday that went two hours. I did one on Wednesday that went 90 minutes. And these are times we're not talking about, you know, strictly work stuff. We're talking about life. We're talking about the future. Someone I was talking to yesterday, we talked a lot about like, hey, election day. How do we think everyone's going to handle this? I don't know how what everyone feels at Whisker Cloud politically. It's not something we actively talk about. I assume that there's based on the laws of averages, just with how many people we have, depending on no matter what happens, somebody's going to be upset. So, you know, like we talked about, how do we want to handle that? Do we want to put rules in place? Like, hey, guys, just a reminder, don't talk about this. So this is what we do as a tech company. What do they do in hospitals? Do they do one-on-ones? Are they, you know, are they tracking progress in their careers performance? Or is that just not something that's done? So I would say probably across, like on a majority, 60%-ish thing, no. Uh, But I do know a lot of practices that do. Listen, you're, you're cultivating something that is really important. And the term for that is psychological safety. And that is something that we have found, and there's a Harvard Business Review article on this that basically kind of proves beyond a doubt that high-performing teams, and no offense at all meant to like a like a factory line, but but that's a mechanical action that is not what we do at our practices, right? It's people thinking every minute of every day, how do I treat this disease? How do I get this catheter? And what's the dose of this, right? That's a high-performing team. They need that. They need that to continue their high performance because 
we are feeling and thought creating beings. And when your work involves feelings and thought creation, if you don't sift through those, your efficiency drops, your burnout spikes, and then all of a sudden you are, you're not able to even fit in, say, one more 20 minute appointment because you're at your limit. So I'm 100% on board. I think we shouldn't. And here's, here's, I think, the inherent flaw with veterinary practices. And I see this with managers, too. There are so few practices. So if you think about, you know, like the role of a manager, I guarantee if I asked that in a group of managers, they would say not the specific job task, but like what they should be doing. I guarantee you every one of them would say busy, 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 busy. I need to be busy. I need to be reading the computer. I need to be answering phones and be doing this. That's not the role of a manager. The manager manages all of that. And so our veterinary managers actually need to have time to sit and think about the business and schedule meetings. You know, I just I just finished the California HR conference and they they did a um, an hour session on workplace investigations. So I'm, I'm sitting here, an employee of mine comes to me and says, I think I was harassed by somebody, right? And the guy goes, you know, goes through this. And there's like a 12-step process with documents and interviews. And I, and I just thought to myself, that's absolutely awesome. That's gold standard. And that's what our managers should have time to do. But nope, busy, busy, busy. Answer the phones, texting. I'm on the phone. I'm this. That is a fundamental flaw of our practices. I think that a manager is not a receptionist. They're not a tech. They're not to be pulled every you know million directions. So they have time to do exactly what you mentioned. I think the other inherent flaw in our practices is we don't take the time to do exactly what you did. We think we kind of have a flawed thinking of productivity means, again, being busy, being busy all the time, every minute of the day. That's our badge of honor. When it's downtime, people freak out. They get anxious. They don't know what to do. That's the time. Like, have some time in your day or plan your week or plan your month around having some of these meetings where maybe you don't have a patient coming in. You know, we're constantly dealing with this excessive demand. And so that's part of the issue is, you know, there's not a veterinary clinic in the country that isn't busy. But yeah, if we don't take the time to talk to our employees and have them work through stuff, it builds and it builds like a powder keg. Like I've had more conversations with employees that I can count where they are talking about stuff that happened years ago that never got resolved and has created the path for the, and, and you know, no offense to them, but like shame on them for not having worked through it, but shame on the clinic for not having been like, man, you had that horribly unprofessional, toxic interaction with somebody. We never dealt with that. And that just created your whole world for the next, you know, five years. So yeah, I commend you for creating that. And we need to do that more in our clinics is create self-care, make the time and space to talk about heart issues. Like I was reading something the other day too, that it was like on the human side, like, you know, you do CPR, you have a dead human, you're doing CPR, cutting them open, doing all these things. And then nobody talks about it after. Just walk away onto the next patient. That's crazy. Imagine you've got a dead human on the table and a nurse who just was like cracking ribs and has to shut that part off, right? And it's the same thing in veterinary medicine, right? We're doing CPR, cutting dogs open, putting IVs and everything. And then, oh, nope, onto the puppy, onto the spay. Nobody takes a minute to go, dang, that was deep. Like, let's have a minute to decompress, you know? Oh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't last and I've spent a full day in many of our hospitals and it's like, I'm, and, and I gotta tell you, I'm up at 4am every day. And it's like, for me, the days are 4am to 10pm. It doesn't stop. We get two, 300 emails a day. I personally get a three or 400 and I get my phone doesn't stop ringing. And it's like, 
And I don't do a great job of taking a minute to breathe. But of course, there's no life and death for me. And, you know, I've been in some of those hospitals and I remember watching them open up the freezer to put another animal that was just euthanized. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that cat for, for like a week. And they're like, oh, they're going to do that seven times on Thursday. Yep, exactly. It's deep stuff that they deal with. And I think and there's there's nothing wrong with that, right? That is the job. Like, we're not changing that. But like, Adam, you hit a nail on the head is... Imagine a vet clinic where the staff like had a minute with the manager where it was non-judgmental. It has to be professional, respectful, right? But like non-judgmental and they could just be like, man, I, I'm going through a tough time. You know, Dr. Smith is pissing me off or, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with whatever. And like you just sat there, not you're not the therapist, but you listened through it and said, OK, let's think about your job performance and let's talk about, you know, because I'm, I'm not, also not a fan of managers taking on the emotional, you know, stuff like we're not therapists, we're not trained that way. But like having these one on one meetings that are kind of job directed and listening a little, you know, to their to their stuff. That's a whole different kind of clinic, you know, that the employee goes out refreshed. And then man, managers listening, you guys got to take care of yourselves, too, because that's a lot to take in. Also, when you are the maven of the you know, you are the head of the of the unit. And so yeah, but it has to be circular, you know, you got to have everybody's got to have self care. Everybody's got to feel like they can state an opinion that is respectful and professional. We are all adults and disagree about things. And that's all what creates this psychological safety. And I, I try to do that with my teams. It doesn't mean that I don't send a rough email or have a rough phone call with somebody, but I always shut up and listen when they have a re like when they're like, got a reaction to it. And I hear it and I go, okay, they need to just be like, I don't agree with this. I don't have time. And I go, great, give it to me. Let me listen to it. And then let's talk through it versus you know, this is my way or the highway and we're not going to talk about this. You know, that doesn't cultivate that that psychological safety. I agree. And, and I, in my career, even before uh, Whisker Cloud here was a lot in human medicine. I was the head of marketing and analytics for uh, actually the National Association of Perioperative Registered Nurses. Um, I worked at agencies where I had healthcare clients. So I've always kind of been in healthcare and, and whether it's human or animal, it hasn't really mattered. There's just a lack of I want to say like business training, but I don't even think it's business training. There's like a lack of training on how to be in a business. And I mean, this is like my running joke is the amount of vets that I'm like veterinary practice owners that I talk to who are like, I don't know what you want, man. I'm, you know, I'm just a vet. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, you're a business owner. No, I'm just a vet. Like, no, that's like me saying, I'm just a web designer. I'm not a web designer. I own Whisker Cloud and there's 50 other things and I have to manage a business. I'm not a web designer. I'm not a, an SEO professional. So, right. Right. you know, but, but I mean, e even beyond just the doctors, I mean, the stuff from what I've seen and we build a lot of careers pages for a lot of hospitals, typically it's like vet med likes to find people that are cheap, young and bring them in and then I see this in the groups a lot. There's not a lot of training. They didn't show me what to do. The practice manager's been there 30 years. She's got a lot of attitude. And then it's just like, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm in three of these groups and it's just like, I read the same posts every day. And I think to myself, that is the definition of insanity. Why has no one come out and said like, hey, stop. Why? I mean, so you tell me like, where is it possible for us to get beyond this and and start to have some more of that, I don't know, that emotional intelligence where we can start building teams who think and work as a team like we try to do at Whisker Cloud? Yeah, I mean, you absolutely can. And I think I, I constantly try to challenge myself 
and say, am I thinking about this the right way? Am I missing something? And part of it, of course, is like, it's kind of like probably unhealthy self-deprecation. But part of it is also making sure that I'm like, kind of secure that I'm on the right path and, and I'm constantly kind of shifting. So I think we can, I think we just have to keep rethinking, like, am I doing this kind of in the, in the right way? Is there anything I'm missing? It, 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 you know, do I have my employees in my, in my forefront, in the front of my mind? Do I, what kind of premise am I working off of? Am I working off of something somebody told me 10 years ago? Am I working off of, you know, laws and, and, you know, like just kind of where are we at with this? And then I think as we, as you figure some of those things out, which are not easy answers, but as you figure those out, then it starts to kind of open. Like, for example, if you, you know, a lot of how we run business is anecdotal, right? Like I heard in a lecture from, you know, some amazing management guru 10 years ago that you're supposed to have your, your EBIT has got to be 20%. And you're like, okay, first of all, what does that mean? Second of all, what circumstance was that in? Is it a specialty practice? Is it a GP with one doctor? Like what's the circumstance? And so then you just like, you use that as, as kind of, you know, as, as mantra. And then I say, okay, well, you know, EBIT at 20% is great, right? But that was 10 years ago. What are you missing? Have you have you kept up with minimum wage? Have you kept up with cost of living? Have you kept up with, you know, all these things? You just continue to kind of eat into your EBITDA without, say, working on revenue and driving things from the top line. Like, it's that whole, it's just that whole idea. We, we you know, you pick up all these little, these little tips and, oh, we got to do it this way. So with teams, I mean, a lot of stuff has changed, I think, not so much change, but maybe there's more research on like organizational development and psychology and like how we develop these teams. And the thing is, it takes work and it takes time. So we've got like, I personally find myself in the weeds on some data project or something. And I go, you know what, that's not working on my practices. Like that's just data stuff. I need to be thinking about what's going to drive them. Have I called one of my managers today? Have I checked in with them? You know, and then hopefully that kind of approach trickles down. And I think sometimes we avoid that because those are tough conversations, even if they're not like, hey, how's your day going, right? You asked me that and I could go, oh, and I just unload all of this on you. So a lot of us avoid that, but that's actually, we need to lean into that more. And the other thing that I see too is, man, there is a lot of interpersonal conflicts in our practices and it's fine. It's totally natural and normal. We're human beings. We rub up against each other, but they don't deal with them. Nobody deals with those. And, you know, what's interesting, again, at the HR conference, like 90% of the lectures that are on legal stuff in this, the answer has been like, what do I do? It's you have a conversation. You, do, you don't say anything illegal, but you pull two people or one person in the room and say, hey, this thing happened yesterday. What's going on? You address it. You clarify it. You figure out what they're doing. And I think all of those things will lead into our teams realizing like, yeah, you don't have to be kumbaya and, and, and puppies and kittens and like love each other, your coworkers. But yeah, if you have, if the coworker rubbed you the wrong way or vice versa, you got to A, feel like your workplace is going to deal with it. And B, you're allowed to express that opinion in a safe place where you're not going to face retaliation or anything like that. And that's how you build a team. You get them to talk about each other like, hey, that pissed me off yesterday. I didn't like the way you did that. Okay, I'm sorry about it. Boom. And you move on, you know, and that's how you build strong teams. We just don't do enough of that because I think our managers are so busy and pulled 5,000 different directions and don't have the time to do the work that is so important in the practice, which is really the people work, not the reception, not the Avamark, not the this. It's the people work. And we forget about that. And it's funny because we dedicate an ungodly amount of money, time, and effort into that. You know, I've owned Whisker Club going on five years. 
We have a lot of employees. There has never been one. Maybe things have happened that haven't been brought to my attention. But I got to tell you, I don't recall a single time where I had two employees fighting with each other, where it had to become a thing. And we have pretty straightforward talk here. Everyone knows their roles. Everyone knows what they're doing. If you need help, you ask. And I mean, everyone knows if you need help with anything on earth, 24-7. You message me. I'm, I'm there. I'm handling it. Your manager will be there and handle it. So it's just interesting. And I think about the way I want veterinary hospitals to move and function like in the future. And Cody and I talked about this on a previous episode of Whisker Talks. But it's like we need more automation. We need more robots. We need to do that. But I also think there's going to be a lot of resistance to that because people will say, oh, automation, that means I'm losing my job. And the thing is, yes. And that's one thing that I have very strong views on. I think like the American workforce that's already been crushed by COVID, automation's coming. And yes, it will cost people their jobs. So that's why I think a lot about vet med. It's like you, guess what? You're an MBA. You're a CVPM. You're a, what's P? Oh, HR, it's got to be human resources, right? Yep, okay. yep. What is CCFP? I feel like I know it. Yeah, um, certified compassion fatigue professional. Wow, okay. But like, so you have all of these qualifications. So you know what or, You know what an AI can't do? It can't replace all those things. So my thing is not to say to, you know, hey, if you're a bagger at a grocery store, if you're a checker at a grocery store, if you're a teller at a bank, if you're a veterinary receptionist, it's like, hey, that's a really important job. A lot of those are essential jobs. Thank God for all those people. But automation's coming and you better start diversifying your education. You better start being able to offer more in these hospitals. And people don't think about this. It sounds horrible when I talk about this, but it's just true. When you hire someone, especially here in California, you have the wages you pay them, the benefits you give them. And then for all of my fellow California business owners out there, you get absolutely destroyed with employment taxes and, and all of these other things. So then on top of it, if you have this person who has, you know, issues with other people in the hospital and whatever you pay them, they're probably cost another 15 to 20% more. And then someone comes to you and says, Hey, we have this new phone system. It's unbelievable. And you can cut back on 50% of your reception team it starts to become scary. So when I hear about, when I see the the drama in these groups and I hear about what you're saying, I would think if I was in this industry or any industry, I'd be saying, I need to figure out the value I could bring to these hospitals. And I need to also remember the positive attitude that I bring, because I think that's really important too. That's something that's never gone well at Whisker Cloud. You know, it's pretty much like, hey, we leave our shit at the door. You know, if you have something going on, we have very generous PTO. You take a day off. And honestly, if people message me and they're like, I'm having a really rough day, I always say like, do you need half a day? Do you need the day? Don't put in PTO. I don't care. Just go take care of yourself. Let me know if you need anything. And it's good. But yeah, I mean, if you got people who are negative fighting with people and then there's a technology that can replace them for 90% less, it vet med's going to get really interesting really soon. So you know, I think there's like all of those things that are just so important that you're kind of on the front lines for this isn't while it's not like day to day marketing and business related, it's still very important stuff. And I'm going to kind of segue that into, you know, you and I were talking about my episode with Brandon, and you said you were cracking up. For anyone who hasn't listened, you know, go listen to episode two with me and Brandon Brashears. He runs the advertising department at Whisker Cloud. And, you know, we were telling stories about how we'd be running ads and 
we basically like secret shopper called the hospital and they put us on hold for six minutes. I mean, and by the way, we were telling some stories on that episode. We had to, you know, we wanted to be very careful not to give anyone's name or hospital names out. And we're not telling those stories to shame people. You only learn from stuff like that. You don't get diamonds, that little pressure. So, you know, we're telling those stories, but it, this goes beyond ads. I mean, how do you, with eight hospitals, how do you ensure that they are literally answering the phone properly? And how do you ensure that they're emailing properly? How do you ensure that they're um, approving appointment requests properly, responding to text messages? Like, how do you ensure that that's happening all the time, 24, without missing a step? Yeah. So what it really comes down to is accountability. And accountability is a really tough thing. For example, I will maybe check, you know, the practice's pet desk portals. And what I have to do, because we have to run businesses, is I have to identify what is in front of me. And that might be zero appointment requests or 50, right? I don't know. And I usually start out, you have to kind of rip the Band-Aid off. And I say, hey, you know, here, you know, here's a screenshot. There's 50 appointment requests. What's going on? And the managers are my accountability partners. And then what I think I do that's maybe different is, as you said, it's not about like, oh, you're horrible shaming. Then the message is, get it, get it done, fix it up, let's go. Because it isn't that in the moment in time I happen to log in, you fell below expectation and therefore you're horrible. It is in the moment I happen to log in, you were below expectation. I'm here to remind you that you need to be at X spot and let's go. And then it's not personal. I move on to the 5,000 other things I have to do and I hope they do as well. And so, you know, I want them to recognize that uh, the ego sting is going to be really quick. Like, yep, God, I got called out. Ooh, geez. But then David doesn't then go, and I can't believe you did this. And I've been relying on you. To, like all of that. No, it's just, all right, let's get it, move it on. And they go, okay, anything that comes after that is all my stuff. It's not his stuff. And he's cool with me. And I just need to get my teams to, you know, to do whatever. And so accountability is tough. But I think that holding people accountable, it can be, you know, an ego punching game of like, I can't believe you could have did this, did it, rather than just realizing that humans are imperfect and we mess up. And yeah, probably every day we fall below expectation, but the manager, leader, owner, whatever your role is, his job is just to say, yeah, you missed it. You really missed it. But guess what? Get back on it and tomorrow's a new day, right? And, and let's move on. Um, it's interesting. You were talking about a lot of stuff. I was reacting to a lot of it, which was all great. Like, first of all, you mentioned kind of the generous PTO policy, right? We've really kind of fallen behind in that too. I think that there's some practices that do have really good PTO policy and the longer that you're there, you have access to it. But man, again, it's a badge of courage if we don't call out sick or take vacation for 12 years. Like that is a badge of courage. And that's crazy because you do, like if you look at say a huge company, like let's say like a couple hospitals or 50 hospitals or a thousand, whatever. And you look at use of PTO versus called out sick days. I've never seen these numbers, but I guarantee you there will be an offset. Like there needs to be a push to be like, use your vacation, go away on vacation. Because if you don't, you're going to get sick. We know that emotions and stress, you know, makes the body sick. And so I commend you for, for, you know, like basically having a situation where your team can be like, I just cannot, I'm not perfect and I can't do it today. And listen, I know that that creates a kind of disaster situation at a practice, but let's have a plan and a contingency. Like, think about it. It's not rocket science if somebody calls out sick, but we're always behind the eight ball. Like, oh my gosh, so-and-so called out sick. I don't know what I'm going to do. How long has this practice been open and running? How about this is what we do if these people call out sick? These are our contingency plans so that they can have the time off that they need. 
So it's really fascinating to me. And I've worked in these clinics and I've been on the floor and I've done that and been like, yeah, I haven't called out in a year and I'm going to, you know, I've moved on to another job and cashed out all my vacation. Well, I don't know what toll that has taken on me, right? I don't have access to that uh, biologically, but I'm sure it did have a toll. And you know, change is really tough. Um, change, you know, whether it's automation or, um, you know, the whole like, we've done it this way forever. We get, we human beings are so kind of oriented to routine because it, we feel like we have control in routine. And the real problem is that the world changes around us. And I think that COVID showed us that, that we were basically pushed, kicking and screaming into having to be more efficient, having to realize that, yes, clients get upset and you can't please everybody and that shouldn't be our goal. And technology is not to be feared, it's to be embraced. And so all of those things COVID, I think, taught us. And yet, was it was it easy? No. <laughs> Are we still in it? Yes. Did it create a lot of upset and quitting and firing and crumbling of emotions? Yeah. But the world did it anyway. You know, the world changed anyway. And we had to just stay connected and stay afloat and realize that, you know, every clinic out there, you're not the only ones facing horrible clients or or COVID phone issues or, you know, whatever it is, 50 different laws you have to deal with. And so, but you but you have to em- start embracing it. We have to start embracing it as a profession and say, it cha- it's not even changes coming, Adam, right? It's changes here, changes here. And we're not dealing with it. We're already behind. I mean, how many years behind normal kind of say corporate or human medicine, do you think veterinary medicine is right? Five to 10. And so the world happens at light speed and and we don't stay on it. But listen, like to kind of bring it full circle, the managers aren't having the time to do that, to read the economic reports or read the news or check out inflation or, you know, whatever, all these things that are kind of going on in the world, because we're like, oh my God, I got to answer that phone call. Oh my God, Mrs. Smith is screaming at me because her meds weren't filled. Like, we got to get the managers focused on the business and the business is part of, I mean, I, I, um, I heard this at the economic, the ABMA economic summit and a world renowned economist was speaking to the group. And she said, 80% of businesses are small businesses. And I was like, Whoa, that's a huge statistic. And guess what? If 80% of the economy of businesses are made up by small businesses, then man, every small business actually plays a role in the worldwide economy. The worldwide economy, that's a big deal, man. That's, a, that's you know, every employee you hire, every every dollar you save, all of those things go to churning our country and churning our world. Man, there was comments like crazy in the chat about, dude, I just rethought my entire veterinary business that it's not about Mrs. Smith, the woman who's been coming for 35 years. It's about my country and my world. And I thought that was that was really epic. Well, and I think on like on top of all of this, pet owners are already interesting. I'm a crazy pet owner. And I want to ask you about this. So is there training in the hospital to deal with the psychotic pet owners? And this isn't every pet owner. It's like, same deal at Whisker Cloud. 99.8% of our clients are awesome. There is a 0.2. And and I could name them right now. And we don't internally hate them we just know when a support ticket comes in with that name on it before you before you open it or you know we have a slack channel for these types of people and i'm like when i see it get in there i'm like okay before i click this anything i should know do i need to like take a breath before we so like and it's funny because i i was just talking to you it's friday guess what happens to whisker cloud every friday oh my god 
I for, forgot to send you this. This was supposed to be up today. We have a big meeting in 30 minutes. Can you build out a custom landing page that's mobile responsive that has a giant form? Can you also have a pop-up and a banner? Can you also make a social media graphic? And and it's like, oh, and you need this in 36 minutes? Like, you know, but it's tough because I'm I sort of subscribe to the we can do this. If someone asks for crazy shit, we can do it. But like what do you guys do when you have the crazy person who's frantic at 4.30 on a Friday who's like, I need to get in right now or I'm going to bomb you on Google? Do Are they prepared for that? So I would say, you know, it's a bell curve as well. Like, I don't want to, you know, be behind this mic and say that I speak for every veterinary practice in the country that nobody has training. But I do think that very few do. I mean, for example, you know, I know that there are some specialty hospitals, some of our, our blue pearls that are putting social workers in practices. That's like the top 1%, right? Somebody who is trained in crisis management that is there to deal with staff and client issues, right? But the thing is that the stuff that is dealt with at those practices happens at every practice. Very upset clients, very strong emotions, death and destruction, right? So no, I don't, you know, I, I can say that I don't think every clinic has that level of, of training. And, you know, probably most small businesses don't, right? But we don't deal with somebody who's upset about, you know, an appetizer that was charged inadvertently or their, you know, whatever it is. Like we're not talking about $40 or even $100 bills. We're talking about $5,000 bills or $3,500 bills or, you know, $250 bills. And so, you know, that level of like service and value to a client is so high. And if the dog dies or the cat dies, of course, the client's going to feel ripped off and super emotional and upset. If their world is that their dog needs their insulin, and yes, they messed up, but they'll never admit that to you, but they messed up and didn't call. And you say, I'm sorry, we're closing in 20 minutes and we don't have the insulin anyway. Yeah, you take heck, right? And it's not okay. But I mean, that, you know, that's what happened. So I think the training you know, there's there's two pieces to it that I that I hope we work on more. One is the de-escalation stuff, which is very, I mean, for lack of a better word, scripted, you know, like what you say, how you deal with it. And I think memorizing scripts in those situations, there's nothing wrong with that because whenever a client gets to that level, they are absolutely triggering our fear zones, our our fight or flight stuff, like all that happens and your your logic thinking brain goes out the window. So having a script is like actually what we just need to do, just train people on scripts and do role playing and all that kind of stuff. But then the other piece of I think is how to keep our teams healthy, our psyches and our and our egos healthy to say, again, I, you know, not to be hard hearted and say Miss Smith is horrible for calling at 440 on a Friday, but saying you're also not horrible for not being able to fill that med. Guess what? You operate nine to five, Monday through Friday. You do what you can. You're one vet clinic of a bank. I think there's 80,000 veterinary clinics in the country. You do it, you know, you're of one technician, you're one veterinarian, and you do what you can. And if you could help Miss Smith, you would, but that it's also okay to say no. Miss Smith can be upset. And then you still say, no, we're not, you know, we, we can't do this. I can give you a phone number or I can fill it Monday. I'm sorry, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to continue to destroy ourselves to please the client because it doesn't actually pay you back in spades. They don't come back and spend $10,000. They don't go write you a great Yelp review. They don't refer 50 clients. They're just very upset people who are selfish and demanding. And I don't think we should be like, I've seen, you know, they're like, F you, get out of here. Like, I don't think we should be, you know, that, but just be neutral, not super accommodating and not horrible, but neutral, which is, you know, rah, rah, no, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't help you all. Uh, you know, I can leave a message and we can fill it on Monday. Rah, rah, rah. No, I'm sorry, ma'am, we can't do that. Rah, rah. You know, 
And that's it. And that doesn't then destroy our psyche because, oh, I couldn't help them. Oh, my goodness. We're such we're so wired to help. Um, so, yeah, or across the board. No, I don't think we have great training for those situations. But the interesting thing is, like, you, you ask for a reason, right? Is it needed? Yeah. Are we seeing these situations that are showing that we don't have the training? Yeah. So, like, come on, guys. And I'm not saying businesses, like, have to. Somebody's got to get out there. We've got to support our teams and make sure they know how to handle these situations. And for for six years, five years now in veterinary medicine, the final sentence you just said, come on, guys. Like, we have to do this. I have, I have heard that from Danielle and Andy Rourke. And there's Uncharted conferences and there's WVC conferences. And I spoke at uh, the NA, NAVC conference and uh, and it's like, and everyone pounds the chest and, and pounds the drum saying, we have to do this. We have to do this. So at Whisker Cloud, I typically will cut off meetings and say, okay, I, I'm done. We just talked in circles for 30 minutes. What do we need to do? What's the plan of action? And, and it doesn't feel like veterinary medicine has that plan of action. And, you know, like on the podcast, some that some episodes have gone live now, some that haven't, like Jessica Vogel saying, like Debbie Boone, we talk through these things and we talk about the issues in the hospital and nothing ever changes. And I, and it's like, and I just can't fathom that because for me at Whisker Cloud, I feel like Whisker Cloud is basically an extension of me as a human. And I like, I have the vibe of our company. I have the vibe of our clients pretty much like injected into me so I can sense it at all times. And, and like with VetMed, I feel like I have these senses where it's just like, man, it just feels like it's starting to boil and boil and boil. And, you know, we keep coming out with all these, you know, all of these things like curbside check-in and, and we're actually working on like four or five new things right now. But, you know, we talk about this internally, we're going to have curbside check-in, we're going to have digital forms. We're, we're very, very close after six months to launching whisker payments. I hope by the time this episode goes live, it's live. We've been well, and the problem with that is uh, I'm a freak. It needs to be perfect. We are talking about people getting paid. And if it's not 1000% perfect, I'm not doing it. And guess what? It's been 99.4% perfect for 30 days. I'm not doing it. I'm not, we're not going to go down that road until I can throw, because we do things in, in testing environments. I want to throw a nuclear bomb at it and have it work every time on 10 tries. If it works nine out of 10, which it always does, I'm like, nope, not yet, not yet. But we do all these things and sort of what you said, vet hospitals see these things as the enemy. It's like, oh, well, that's going to take my job. Don't you want to get off the phone? Do you really want to get on the phone with local cat owner who's pissed because she was charged too much last time. I'm saying that because the last time I was at my vet inside, I watched this woman with two cats like berate the uh, reception team. And I, and I even stood up, I'm like, can you not do that? Like, these are really good people. And I'm very uncomfortable. And she was like, okay, I'm sorry. But, but like, we do all of these things to get you off the phone to get you, you know, wouldn't it be nicer if you could just text the client? So why don't they want to just go all in and say, I want all of this. Give me everything. Yeah, I mean, so here's what I think is kind of the root of that. And and again, it goes back to like time, but even bigger. Let me let me ask you this. How much time do you and your say your management level and maybe your kind of supervisor level people spend on thinking about your business? 
digesting, brainstorming. I don't know if you, you know, you do do a SWOT analysis or do a business plan or whatever, right? Like how much time, Adam? I mean, if it's 30 minutes or 50 hours, like what do you think is reasonable and useful? I'm not kidding you. This morning at 8 a.m., we spent an hour. We're in the we're in the process right now of moving to a new automation system internally. And like to put this in perspective for you, I'm going to give you one workflow just to think about. So right now, our team has like 107 websites in development, which is astronomical. We've hired quite. So we're working on 107. One of the things we do is we have multiple QAs at different points in the build. Well, the issue we've been dealing with is. We have two people who are top QA people, and they basically check text, they check links, they check mobile versions, so they go through it. Well, we were running into issues where people weren't putting in notes in our system that they had QA'd it, and then it was getting QA'd twice, and then like their notes didn't match up. So we spent an hour this morning looking at our new system, literally created a workflow that says once someone does a QA, all they have to do is check a box that triggers something in our system and then sends a Slack or client success in our web team that says cat has QA'd and then insert, you know, website name. And did all of that. Nothing, no part of that hour spent this morning has anything to do with us making money. It doesn't have to do with getting new business. In fact, it doesn't even benefit the client. All it does, is say to our QA team, all you have to do is click this checkbox when you're done and it will trigger five things and it will put it into Slack and it will tag the correct people. And we spent an hour just on that today. So long story short, we spent, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 hours a week talking through those internal workflows because we know that hour today is going to save us 15 hours next month. Seriously. So we do that a lot, but like that alone is one stupid little process. And we have, we have 500 processes. So we have to build 500 workflows just like that. So, but, but I don't understand why hospitals, it's a lot to implement. And we have a lot of smart tech people here that have been in tech and, and building automations and using AI. It's not easy to build. We have to set up a lot of stuff. So, but yeah, I mean that I'm glad you asked that because that was literally this morning, one hour spent on that stupid little thing. I mean, so so you guys have 500 processes. So do clinics, right? Surgery check-in, regular check-in, phone call, filling med, but you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I will say that many hospitals, and again, guys that do this, awesome. It's not all hospitals, but many spend zero, zero hours, Adam, on thinking about their business and planning and strategizing, zero. And I can tell you, you don't need a Harvard MBA to know that that makes a business not do very well, right? Because you have to think about the business. What, you know, people issue. How do we tackle this issue? What's going on? And what are we going to do? Who, you know, what's the legal thing involved? Check in, you know, clients are, we're seeing on Yelp, the clients are complaining about check in. All right, well, let's sit there and plan it. I did, um, and I have done multiple times. I did a strategic planning meeting this week with one of my practices. I did one multiple, many years ago when I was the hospital manager of a practice. And I, when, when I was on site, the manager, it was a big practice, six, $7 million practice. I took the medical director, the tech supervisor, the CSR supervisor, and my assistant manager offsite, budgeted for it, paid for it, took them off for eight hours. All of them, of course, were like, I, I need to be there. Oh my God, la, la, la. I said, you know what? We got to do this. 
And we sat in a room for eight hours and did SWOT analysis and, you know, strategic planning goals and all of that. And did we come out with, you know, 9,000 things to do? No, that wasn't the point. We talked a lot, but we maybe had five or six actionable things. But did we work through stuff like, you know, this is a pain point or this interaction's happening or I'm struggling with this? Yeah. And we had the time to do it. And you got you to gotta go off site. You can't do it at the clinic. You're going to get, you know, bugged. But it is mind boggling for me too, with a person who owns or oversees a multi-million dollar business from one and a half million to 30 or 50 million, right? And zero hours are spent on strategic planning, discussing, thinking, reviewing. And again, it goes back to what I've been saying, which is we have this innate badge of honor if we have to be busy or And I don't know what the dot, dot, dot is. Like, are you going to get fired? Are you going to get beaten up? Like, I don't know what the or is, but we have to be busy or. No, you don't actually have to be. And now what's really cool with COVID, and I've seen this, um, is there have been some owners that kind of got to the breaking point. And it's interesting they had to get to that point. But they, I've seen this pop up on Facebook and different, different groups where they've said, I shut the clinic down today. I shut the clinic down and I gave the teams a wellness day or it was a half day or we brought in lunch and, you know, or like just closed it down. What do you think would happen? God forbid, right? I guarantee you, I think the next day they took a drop off. They did a work in surgery. Like I think they probably had zero revenue hit for doing that, even though the day's numbers would be, you know, a lot less. And in fact, they probably would have increased incrementally their productivity. Now, I'm not saying a clinic needs to close once a month, but like that's about that, you know, the term in service, right? That is unheard of in a veterinary practice. And that's what I think is killing this profession. We have to have time to talk about the business, think about the business, deal with internal issues. And you you do it all the time at Wizard Cloud. It's probably super innate and natural. And what's so interesting is it is so not to our practices. You know, it's so awkward and, and weird. And if I said this to 50 managers in a room, they would all say, when am I going to do this? I don't have time. And I just look at them and I say, I don't know, figure it out, but you need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no shit. Like, you know, and I and I think about like the time we waste on little stupid things. And we have a pretty open Slack. Our our Slack, listen, it's like as long as you're not saying anything illegal, as long as you're not calling people names, you know, post what you want, post memes, post gifts, I don't care. And I said to someone last week here, you know, I'm just feeling really slammed. Okay, well, you do nothing but post bullshit in Slack for four hours yesterday. The thing we're talking about takes 16 minutes to do. Like you could do this, just turn Slack off for a little bit. So let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you one final question. I want your like 30 seconds, any person out there in these groups, uh, you know, practice managers, business owners, RVT, anyone like, if they were to listen to this episode and walk away with like one thing they were going to implement at their hospital, or they were going to bring to the person that can implement at their hospital, what is the one quick hit thing they should start thinking about right now? I'm going to take a minute because I really want it to be, you know, impactful. I ask the tough questions. This is what happens. When you, I tell my wife when she like yells at me for like not doing the dishes or something. I say, excuse me, ma'am, I'm a professional podcaster now. I don't need to be yelled at like this. Well, it's tough because there's 50 things you could probably think of, but I want them to literally take their AirPods or headphones out, walk over and say, we need to do this shit right now. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. It's assume noble intent. What do I mean by that? your staff member calls out. They're not doing it to you. They're not screwing you. Assume noble intent. 
why did they call out? What's the situation? And how do I deal with it? And, and, and I think that most of you probably do that already, like to the employee, but then you kind of bring it to the rest of the group of like, I can't, they've been calling out 50 times and I'm just ready to fire them. Okay, I understand the frustration. I cannot get on board with the, we should just fire them. Like it's, you know, what's going on in their life, in their world. Most of the time, if I ask you about the employee, you often would say, well, they're a really great employee. Great, they're a great employee. So assume noble intent. They're not doing it to you. They have something going on in their world and they're, you know, and they're prioritizing, God forbid, their family or their boyfriend or their health or whatever it is above the business. And I think that can be in in, in a million different ways. Clients, uh, the world, you know, your owner, uh, you know, your fellow manager, your coworkers, your employees, uh, technology, all of that. Assume noble intent. It's not out to get you. It's not out to attack you. But our brains are wired to see it that way. So you have to tell yourself, assume noble intent. And I do this a thousand times a day. I did it 20 minutes ago. I got a text message and I read it and I went, oh boy. And I felt the, the, the boxing gloves come on and I was all ready to go. And I called and I just said, hey, what's going on? And they went, I'm so nervous. And I, oh my goodness. And it was all about them and their worries and their upsets. And I went, great, let's work through it. Didn't raise a voice didn't get, didn't spike my anxiety. And by the end of it, we were basically air hugging. You know what I mean? So assume noble intent. Mic drop, boom. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to end it right there at mic drop, boom. Anyone out there listening, make sure you rate, subscribe, review the Whisker Talks podcast. David, this was, you just crushed it, man. Thank you so much for being here. You and I need to have more chats more often, but this was awesome. Everyone listening, you know what to do. And we'll all talk to you next week. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Be safe. Be well out there, guys.